I, yeah. I didn't even check when. Rabbit. Rabbit was good. Uh, yeah. Rabbit. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, it's too good. Well, I was I was like this, you you doink, and I was like this, so fuck off. You deserve that much? Oh, you know our recording volume is so... Oh, no, it's good. It's good. We're good. We're good. You deserve a break today <laughs> at Rupredo's. I deserve a punch in the face. But not at Rupredo's. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good catchy one too <laughs> come to Rupredo's you won't get punched in the mouth maybe depends on his mood <laughs> not Rupredo <laughs> Rupredo's <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Sounds from the 70s with Gary and Rob, sometimes known as the Sugar Man. Sugar Man. No, I didn't like that. And we... (laughs) (laughs) It's not how I... It's not how I hear Sugar Man in my head. Yeah, but it couldn't be mean. It couldn't be Sugar Man. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's what I was... That's how I imagined Sugar Man. That's some dirty sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Some dirty sugar. And we are coming to you, as usual, from a shack in the freaking woods where deliverance seems to be a way of life rather than a fictional movie. And we have, we have, oh my God, Rob, 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 listen to me. An action-packed show. Listen to me. Yeah, we do. You know what I was going to say. We have (laughs) so much planned for this show. We actually should have a part one and part two of this episode. Seriously, we should have a part one and part two or like a a three-hour mini epic, like a mini series uh, of just this one episode. That was a three-hour mini epic. Could we do it in three twenty-minute parts and just join them together? <laughs> <laughs> we should. We. This is going to be a show like Titanic, you know, like three hours long, and and with the same ending. <laughs> yeah, and the ending is everything in that. Movie. Yeah, with with the ship going down and most of us dying. Um, or what I could do is just throw out some of the stuff I had planned so we can get out of here early. And that's what I think uh, is most likely to happen. Like because uh, I, I envision a three-hour show from us more like a Titanic thing. So um, how would you hate to have, you know, your, your relatives have died in Titanic and then, and then like a hundred years later be making jokes about it on a dinky show like this? <laughs> <laughs> I'd say enough time has passed. I think they'd understand. <laughs> Too soon. Okay, so now today we have a first for this show. Actually, we got a couple of firsts, I think, but a I can't remember what the first, other one is. Yeah. We have a couple of firsts for this show, which is today we have a theme that was requested for this show, which we're going to do. This theme was actually requested. Uh, it's, it's a long one it's a very long one so be prepared the title is (laughs) this is true i'm not bullshit the title is it's american commercial folk singer songwriters in the male category (laughs) okay i can think of that (laughs) it explains pretty much everything in the title okay this is not like obscure folk this is very commercial music folk music and it's American, strictly American, because we're going to have like British ones later on and Canadian ones. And it's in the male category. So we're going to have women later on. So I had to put all that in. You understand? I had to put all that in. That's a long title. 
Couldn't you turn it into an acronym? Okay, so our first artist <laughs> is going to be James Taylor uh, and his 1977 album, Jit. Or as also pronounced, I guess, by some people as JT. The uneducated. The <laughs> uneducated. I've always called it Jit. <laughs> people should be really mad at this. I don't know why they aren't. Third They're song mad on the album, Honey Don't Leave La. <laughs> Because <laughs> you remember Jit. the last time you left your law. Um, now I want to first bring up something important personally. This is personal on the show. This is per personal between me and Rob and you people listening. Uh, Longtime listeners of this show may remember that Rob, before the pandemic, remember before the pandemic, Rob? Nope. Now the pandemic is kind of like uh, I remember just, the pandemic. just a joke of the past. But, uh, <laughs> getting everybody pissed off today by telling the pandemic was a joke. Uh, that, that Remember Didn't before the me. pandemic started, you had that theater group that always did plays and crap like that. Remember that? Yeah, New Age progressive. Uh, no, it was New Age. No, it was no. Uh, no. Shakespearean. No. <laughs> kind of death of a salesman. You're trying. You're trying to. You're trying to gloss this over, and it's not working. Because you guys, first of all, they weren't very good, and I'm being kind when I say that. And I, but I guess it gave it gave you guys something to do, right? Because you had a lot of free time on your hands, so you had this theater group, and they did plays like La Caja Fall. Remember when you did La Caja Fall? You were one of the gay dudes, naturally. I thought they were, <laughs> I thought they were all gay. <laughs> and, oh. and you get your gun. Oh, that was terrible. Uh, both of which are beyond description. I've seen both plays beyond description. Uh, and that's not a good thing. And uh, on my, except, except for the part in both shows where about halfway through each of them, I asked for my money back. And uh, I enjoyed that part because I did get my money back. They didn't even know. <laughs> Because I told them like this is uh, this is beyond brutal. I think was how I said it for both shows beyond brutal. And they said we can't see the show because we're here with the tickets, but we kind of understand. So that was good. Anyway, Rob and his company of so-called actors uh, are starting back up, which reminds me that Rob's uncle was actually an actor in Hollywood on a couple of TV shows. Which I don't know if Rob wants me to talk about. I didn't go over this with you, Rob, but I'd like to talk about your uh, family's acting past. They're all dead to me. Go ahead. No, don't say that. That's a, see, that's a bad joke. You see, I say funny jokes. I say funny jokes about the pandemic. <laughs> and he goes with something like that. <laughs> they can't be dead to me. They're too real. <laughs> see? Yeah, if you're going to do a joke, do a joke about the Titanic or the pandemic. People yeah, the love pandemic. that stuff. Uh, <laughs> how about Krakatoa? How's your Hiroshima going with him? So, uh, Rob's uncle was on a couple of episodes of Long Street Long in Street. 1971. I, uh, you remember Long Street, the show? No, remember what that was. Oh, really? Even though your uncle was on it. That's nice. That's a good family tradition of not telling you about it. Now, the, yeah. Long Street was uh, a show about. No, it, it wasn't a show about a very long street. <laughs> Although you can imagine they might have had some in it. <laughs> that, but there had to be a long street in it, but we're not going to get there because we could go on that for a while. Yeah, it's just part of the, part of the metaphor. <laughs> but it was about a blind man played by the always great James Franciscus. <laughs> James Franciscus. 
<laughs> Always great, James Francis. Jeez, I bet you I've seen him in a bunch <laughs> I'm of I'm sorry things. to the James Franciscus family, and I don't mean any disrespect, but for some reason it just caught me funny. <laughs> so he's a blind man. So Longstreet is a blind man, played by the always great James Franciscus. See, nobody remembers James Franciscus, and I'm sorry to your, the Franciscus family, but they don't, so they're all thinking, man, i never seen him in anything, and yet he's so great. Um, he also plays uh, an insurance investigator with his dog. It's a seeing eye dog. Um, do you, you don't remember that? It sounds exciting, doesn't it? No, no memory. No, it doesn't sound exciting. I don't think it does either. <laughs> doesn't sound exciting? Got but no memory of it. The, the, I think you're making this up. I'm not. <laughs> Look it up. Now, Rob's uncle appeared on the show as Longstreet's uh, former gay lover. Now, you can imagine the outroar over the lead actor of a TV series in 1971 being gay. It was a different time. It was. It was almost like 50 plus years ago. <laughs> well, you could get thrown in jail just for thinking things like now, that. Now, I don't think anyone was gay on TV in 1971. Not even Paul Lind was gay, so to speak, if you know what I mean. No. Oh, please. <laughs> I'm not gay. <laughs> so, yeah, that was my Paul Lind. Thank you. Oh, please. So, uh, so after a few episodes... <laughs> I should have done that because it made me laugh again. Doing my Paul in. <laughs> so after a few episodes, they had to write Rob's uncle out of the show. He was supposed to be like a recurring character as Longstreet's lover. But uh, by the way, his nickname was Vic. Rob's uncle was nicknamed Vic. Longstreet's lover Vic. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> that is a nice That's right. Longstreet's lover Vic. That's how they said it in the show. It's a very dramatic show. You know, an hour long. You know. Oh, yeah, I know you. You're Longstreet's lover Vic. You'll never yeah. solve this murder, Vic. <laughs> Longstreet doesn't know what he's talking about. So Rob's uncle was... was, was <laughs> he was called Vic. If you want to check on the old Google, you know the old Google about this, please the do. The old Google. Rob thinks I'm bullshitting. I thought he was a hockey about your player. family. Uh, <laughs> what they did, well, for no reason at all, at the start of the third episode that Rob's uncle was on, they had Vic being blown up by a car bomb. No reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was then, never mentioned again in the episode. And then on. they just continued on with the episode as usual without looking for the killer or acknowledging like Vic's presence at all or lack thereof anymore uh that's what they did in the 70s they uh they would like they'd kill you kill you and then they forget about would it. forget about you by the next episode <laughs> <laughs> they did it was merciless it was it was it was a rough time to be an actor in uh hollywood uh, in the 70s now uh so that was his that was rob's uncle I, and i can't i can't mention his name on We'll call uh, him Vic for now. <laughs> can't mention his name because we don't know if he would like that his name is being mentioned. So it's not. So now you can look it up on the IMDb. Uh, it's there. Uh, maybe. Now, Rob's uncle also appeared in one more show before giving up on his acting career. An episode of MASH. Shut up. Don't, 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 don't do that. No. He was he was in an episode of the, uh, the short-lived 1974 show starring Richard Boone called where's my gun now now where's my gun was about a police officer who in the first episode loses his gun 
Oh my god. Okay. Now, I in the last episode. I don't want to give anything away, so I'll So somehow, I don't know, you know, and and how he would lose his gun, but he lost his gun to a bad guy somehow, I think. I haven't seen the show, so I don't know. I think he just put it down somewhere and But I don't know, I haven't seen the show either. <laughs> he put it down on the ground to tie his shoe and then when he went to look it was gone. He maybe he was getting in the car, he left it on the roof of the car, ran around the corner and off the gun went. How many times have we done that well with coffee? Could have happened. This was such a weak premise. It could have happened. Uh, and and every week he would uh, try and get it back. Like I gotta get my gun back, man. You know, Richard Boone. Um, and because of this, you know, always trying to get his gun back and his obsession with getting his gun back, he would get shot at, and his family gets kidnapped, and people's lives are threatened. Now it soon became apparent to people that maybe if this guy just got a new gun, <laughs> none of this shit would happen. And the ratings went down big time because of this. Why, not this. why is this guy so obsessed with getting his gun? I can see that. You get, you get close to a gun. It becomes personal. And so, well, I don't see it. I just say, hey, Sarge, I need a new gun. And then you got it. And <laughs> well, no, because then the Sarge is going to ask, what happened to your old one? And he said, I left it on the roof. <laughs> and he goes you idiot okay just sign this requisition I mean more like we've all done that so anyways the show was cancelled after only seven episodes and now Rob's uncle played in one of the episodes a psychotic killer again named Vic, Vic. <laughs> who this is true again named Vic who gets a hold of the gun I don't know how I didn't, I didn't watch the episode I'm just going by the synopsis that I've read he gets a hold of the gun, and just for fun, let's say, let's say that Vic is also gay. Let's pretend. So your your uncle played a gay character because he has no Wait. backstory on this one. Let's just say he's a gay character because he played Vic Gay on Long Street. Let's say yeah, he's that's a gay what character. people see this; they're going to associate him with, the, with his other characters. So I, I remember that guy. He was Vic. Yeah. He was also Vic on Long Street. He was gay, so he's probably gay here. Gay here. So he he plays a he's a psychotic gay man with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and just before Vic dies, after being shot by Richard Boone, and you think uh, that Richard Boone is going to uh, get his gun back, for some reason, Vic had already mailed the gun to Kansas, the state. So that's a whole other season of the show. Right? <laughs> so that's a whole other episode because he never gets the gun back. And it's never explained as to why he just decided to mail the gun mail to gun. Kansas. Uh, but that's what he did. Who's waiting in Kansas? <laughs> exactly. That's the next week's show. What's What's in Kansas? So then he would uh, go all the way to Kansas. He'd find out where he mailed it. He'd go, oh, God, I got to go all the way to Kansas. And meanwhile, his his uh, sergeant is going like, forget about the fucking gun. <laughs> Just do your work. This, this is all you've investigated for months. There's real crimes <laughs> happening here. What do you think they pay you for? We have crimes here. And you're looking for this freaking gun. Okay, so anyway, that's really all you need to know about the show, Where's My Gun? Where's My Gun? Except for, <laughs> no, I'll spoil it. Except what? for the final episode where he says, oh, there it is. No, like, it was left unresolved because Aww. they... 
they uh, they ordered 13 episodes and they only showed seven and then pulled it because uh, it could have been great. People just were like, "Get another gun, dude!" <laughs> I wonder yeah. what it was like to work with Richard Boone. He was kind of very uh, he was a nice guy, but he was brusque, as they say, really brusque. You know, yes, have did. gun will travel to the heart of a man. He got like the things to do. Paladin. Yeah, and we'll, uh, we'll let him go. Uh, we'll let him get away with it. Paladin, the Paladin. <laughs> yes, um, I like Richard Boone. He always played uh, after he played Paladin and, and Have Gun Roll Travel. He uh, mostly played bad guys, but he was no, that's not true. He played Heck Ramsey. Remember when he played Heck Ramsey? Heck Ramsey from that show. Yeah, yeah. Heck Ramsey show. And uh, so he did play a lot of good guys, but he also played, he could play bad guys really good. But, uh, and he was one of the guys, this, this is, this is, this is, uh, true. Uh, a f- footnote that's not interesting to anybody, but I'm going to put it. He was one of the guys that like, uh, Brian Keith and, uh, who's that guy? Hawaii Five-O, Jack Lord. Jack Lord. They all lived in like Hawaii and then they would, uh, party together. I don't know if they party together, but they decided to live in Hawaii. Uh, not they didn't all get together and say we should all live in Hawaii. Live in it was Hawaii. all separate decisions, and that they all lived in Hawaii. And uh, you don't hear about that anymore. It's like, uh, yeah, who goes to Hawaii anymore? Well, no, uh, that's except not the, on that's vacation. Not the point, idiot stick. The point is, is that uh, I don't know. Forget it. I don't. I, I really am pissed off I even brought it up because you're an idiot <laughs> so if you want to check that that's why I wanted to bring that all up because that's where Rob gets his uh, your acting genes from is from your uncle Uncle Vic Uncle Vic where's my gun he uh, he almost made it if you want to check on that just google where's my gun mm-hmm. Richard Boone um, where's my gun? and if you don't that's fine too <laughs> what a so, brilliant premise. Speaking, so speaking, it's not a brilliant premise. That was the point of what I was saying: is that the show got canceled in seven episodes because it was a bad premise. The guy should have said, "Listen, I got a requisition for another gun because I left it on top of my car and drove away." And uh, I don't know. Instead of being so obsessed about getting it back. I think I could have come up with some, some better episodes than what they came up with. I think there was just some, some lazy and then, writing. And then, and, then, and then your uncle just mails it to Kansas for no reason. <laughs> Why did you do that, Vic? <laughs> you know you're going to jail for that. You're going to do hard No, Vic time. died. Vic died. They shot him at the end, and then he died. And his, I think, I guess, since I didn't say it, his last, well, <laughs> his last words to Richard Byrne Boone I, were, I, somehow, I mailed it to Kansas. <laughs> and that's what he said. Because he, he went up to him, he went up to him. I assume because I'm, I'm just going by the uh, synopsis that I've read online, is that Richard Boone, after shooting him, went up to him and said, "Where's my gun?" <laughs> Wait <laughs> and a yeah, second. I mailed, it, I mailed it to Kansas, and then he died. Vic died. Uh, I just, I just spotted a flaw there. <laughs> <laughs> so you understand why this show kind of never really the, yeah. the implausibility of everything that was going on I guess it's got some writing flaws and also <laughs> him shooting Uncle Vic like that <laughs> and then walking up to him and pointing the gun at him and saying where's my gun <laughs> <laughs> see if I was Vic I'd say 
What do you need it for? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> you went too far and you made me you made me laugh too hard. He's he's starting he's starting to turn he's starting to turn purple. Books. I never thought about that. He doesn't have a gun and yet he shot the shit out of That's him. That's a bad bad writing. <laughs> you don't have a gun? Fuck you. <laughs> so I like Richard Boone though. I, I really do. I like Richard Boone. He was he was brusque. So I, I, I'm going to say that the shooting was valid. <laughs> oh man, it's yeah, my, we're not we're not going to do we're gonna the segment today because we're we should be doing the album already. <laughs> uh, where's our producer? He's supposed to give us hand signals. Uh, another thirty seconds. Uh, next sketch. Uh, so speaking of psychotic, Rob, how was your week? It was a groovy week. It feels like springtime here because uh, it's not bitterly cold. And anytime it's not bitterly cold, it feels like spring. Uh, there's animals in the air and uh, fresh. <laughs> down, down your computer keyboard. <laughs> yeah, right there's computer keyboard. animals in the air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> springtime animals. <laughs> what kind of animals start flying? In the air, and we're not counting birds. Could you tell me that? Mostly animated ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! It's All I wanted was a drink kind of, of water, <laughs> and then he has to come up with some silly shit like that. You know, animals in the air. Sorry. I almost did a spit take because I was actually drinking my water, and then he said that stupid thing: "Animals in the air." That's what guys do. <laughs> uh, which is, by the way, was the original title of Pink Floyd's Animals. Was Animals, animals in, in the Air. <laughs> and they changed it. <laughs> they changed it. Okay, Odds and Ends. Lost Time is Not Found Again. This week on Odds and Ends, we have uh, another sad announcement and another strange coincidence, which seems to happen between this show and real life way too often. Uh, last episode, we featured the David Crosby and Graham Nash album, Wind on the Water. And one of the things I wanted to point out, which I did, I'm sorry I made you cry, Rob. Um, it was a good album. <laughs> was um, the players on it. I think I touched on it, but what I wanted to say on the album that I strangely forgot, because I usually, when we have a long You remember review, all the important I facts. I do remember yeah. all the facts, actually. It may take some time, but through the process of us talking, I do remember all pretty much everything that I want to talk about. I forgot to mention the brilliant playing on the album, which really stands out, of David Lindley on the uh, Wind oh. on the Water album. The next day we did the show, David Lindley passed away. Really? Yes. David Lindley passed away. I think of a heart attack or... I don't want to say... I, I don't have what we he don't died have details. Of, but it was... It was... I, it, was uh, it was like, you know, naturally. You there know. was no foul play involved. Don't make fun of his death. What is wrong with you? What? No, seriously, what is wrong with you? It's that blow to the head I dies his death. I know. So, um, first of all, I feel bad because, and it's so strange that I would forget. It really is. It's so strange that I would forget because it was one of the one of the points that I really wanted to make was how his uh, steel guitar playing on that album, on the very few solos there were, really stood out and really helped the songs out. And I've, I've always been a fan of David Lindley. Uh, he's, of course, is known for uh, being the sideman for Jackson Brown's band for like forever. 
and uh, of course playing a great solo on Running on Empty. He's played on hundreds of records. He's uh, and then he went into a solo career in the '80s and so on and so forth. And he's played with Ry Cooter. He's known by as the musician's musician. You you know the general public may not know him, but us musicians always know David Lindley because he's on everything. And a personal note, um, I should actually find out how he how he passed. It was yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like uh, it was just like a, a. It wasn't anything weird. It wasn't anything. It was weird. something. Normal. It was just it was just you know I th I think it was a heart attack. Again, I don't want to say it's a heart attack and have it not be, but then again, if I look it up, it's going to waste time on the show. Well, um, the important information has already been passed up. Yes. Um, personal note. For that, our very first song that we played as a band way back when we were kids, <laughs> almost 40 years ago. Yes, two years from now, it'll be our 40th anniversary of our band. First song we ever played, and we played it at every practice and gig we played. Everyone. For a bunch of years. For and then we way stopped. too long <laughs> because I finally had had enough because literally we had played it, I think, a it seemed like a million times was Mercury Blues his version of it on El Rio X uh, and we played that was the first song I don't know how we decided to play that song It go, he had to go way back in time to try and remember there was no I don't remember it was a blues song it, it was, was just easy a blues to play song. and we all loved it at the time I, I soon hated it with a passion just because we played it like every week for it the next 20 years um but that's our personal connection and i always remember that like man the first song we ever played and it was a huge song in canada anyways mercury blues and el rio x was a, was a, a very big album and uh david lindley's solo career kind of went into uh non-commercial things he was he was he, he uh he did things like uh was into world music and and stuff like that so it was that was one of the few uh commercial aspects of his career but uh, anyways a very sad passing i wish i would have remembered it that show last time to have mentioned his playing but uh just really weird i woke up the next day and looked on the paper and well not the paper but the internet and it said that he was gone and i said wow that's really weird because he was one of our uh one of the reasons one of the things i want to talk about from the, that show we have that kind of stuff happening all the time. And I had finished the script last night. And this is a little bit more dark. But uh, not that David Lindley's passing isn't dark, of course. But he lived a long life and he was a good man. But uh, late last night as I was finishing up and had finished the script. And then I'd actually finished it, put it away. And then went on uh, the internet to see if there was any news that had come up if for today just in case before i went to bed and jim gordon had passed away now uh, jim gordon is uh if you don't know he's again same as david denley he's a musician's musician he's uh, a drummer who played with Derek and the dominoes uh i'm having a tough time with this because i have to be honest with you i'm not too sad he passed away uh he, but I have to pay dues to him because he was uh, one of the best drummers there ever was. Everybody asked him to be on sessions. He played, 
there's if you go to his Wikipedia page and see all the albums and artists he played for, which it states, it's it's mind-boggling. He's most famous, of course, for being in Derek and the Dominoes. He's also famous for being an asshole. And people may say, hey man, but he was had mental illness problems. You know what he did? But uh like I was reading a piece in, in Rolling Stone last night after I heard about from 1985. That's a very good piece. And uh, Jim Gordon, of course, is uh, beat his girlfriend sometimes. One of them was Rita Coolidge, uh, which is not cool with me in any sort of way. Uh, Rita Coolidge also wrote the coda to Layla on the piano that Jim Gordon took for himself and said that he wrote it. And uh, he had a lot of, uh, well, let's just say he had a lot of problems. And then, of course, in, um, in the, I think it was 1984, he, or 1983, I can't remember the exact date. Of course, he was, he was really spiraling out of trouble and he killed his mom. Now, I'm sorry, there are a lot of people who are, uh, schizophrenic and have mental problems they don't kill people so i i think that's that's uh i understand that like as as far as well you got to excuse him because he, he he had uh severe mental problems and i understand that but like i said there's a lot of people with severe mental problems and they don't go around hitting women and stealing songs and killing their mother and his mother was uh trying very much to get him help and he just went over, he heard voices and saying that he had to kill her and he killed her in a very brutal way. But I do mention it because you can't take away the artistry from the artist. And Jim Gordon is an exceptional drummer and not a very good human being. But we're not here to judge people by how they are. I always say we have to separate the art from the artist. And uh, to be honest with you, if he was uh, one of the guys that I had to pick as a drummer, I'd probably pick him. <laughs> but uh, I will not excuse that. Uh, and then when I read that they had talked to Rolling Stone had talked to him in prison about he died in prison, by the way, from natural causes at the age of 77 yesterday. Yesterday to us, when you hear this, it'll be a few weeks down the line. But the thing that got me is when they when Rolling Stone was talking to him and they asked him about that and he kind of just said well good riddance about his mom oh which is really nice and this is at a time when they were giving him medication in prison for his mental illness and he said that so that tells you the kind of person that even he wasn't a very good person even at the, when he was mentally coherent at least so I, I just say, you know what, uh, peace to him. I hope he finds some peace wherever he is. And I say uh, the world is much better that he's not around. And if you want to write an email to me about saying that, feel free. If you want to write about, about it's okay for murderers not to die, then feel free to write me. <laughs> you can't speak ill of the dead murderers. <laughs> um, I think that gets me the most, uh, all of it gets me the most, obviously, killing your mother, all that stuff. But as a musician, well, and hitting women, oh my God, that really, uh, that really disturbs me. But as a musician, it's funny we talk about all these horrible things, but the thing that gets me the most is that he stole the song. 
because you just don't do that. You just if somebody writes a beautiful thing like Dakota at the end of at the end of Layla, like uh, and then call it your own when you didn't write it is uh, one of the many things that he will be remembered for in the in the negative. Component. Yeah, a little, a little embarrassing. If, uh... <laughs> embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, where's Rob? Says a little embarrassing. A little embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God! Yeah, we're not gonna do the feature segment today because uh, we ran. We're, we're running. We're not running long. We're running on time. But if we're we did the time. if we did the segment, oh my God, we'd be over it. We'd be like uh, the, we don't have enough computer storage space to uh, to record. That oh, much. that's not true. But <laughs> but we would we would be long on time. And we're we're trying to we're trying to be more economical with our time, aren't we? Time Time economical. That's yeah, what we're trying like to be. That. Uh, could you not use words like that? Because it pisses the fuck out of me. It kind of rhymes with diabolical. Yeah, that's why it pisses the fuck out of me. Okay. Uh, yeah. The yeah. monkey will be here soon. <laughs> the monkey will be here. So today's featured album is by folk singer, songwriter, and all-around snooze fest. American. James Taylor, and American. American snooze fest, James Taylor. <laughs> and his 1977 release, uh, JIT. And, sorry... JT, I guess, is what the majority of people call it. <laughs> <laughs> JT. If you're looking for it, look for the letters JT. But it's pronounced J. <laughs> we're just joshing. Hey, kids. We're just joshing. Now, uh, everybody kind of knows James Taylor, but I'm going to go uh, over this anyways because uh, some of you just don't pay attention like I think you should. There may be some kids in the audience. I don't get that. Kids need to be educated. Oh, that's what you're doing. You're educating. Shut up, you're <laughs> professor. You're you're professor. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> I just want to get this out of the way. It's <laughs> <laughs> just thing I got to do. It's a. It's a, it's a <laughs> now, James Taylor, uh, born 1948 in uh, a place, a very nice place in Massachusetts, called Boston. <laughs> I thought it was like, I actually thought it was not Boston. That's why I was looking it up. I thought it was like uh, something like Cape Cod or something. Because he has a very rich, rich, uh, well-to-do family. Uh, and uh, his father was a, a doctor, a, uh, I think a psychiatrist. So he has a very w good upbringing. Um, he has uh, has a lot of trouble when he was growing up. He had a, you know, we were just talking about mental illness. He had he had some uh, problems, and uh, even by the time, uh, let me get this straight here. Even by the time that he was a teenager, he also kind of had a, a drug problem, which is so so uh, tough to have. It's not a good thing <laughs> to have a drug problem, so to speak. Not, not, if it, not if it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. Um, we have, uh, and it's interesting because the Taylor family, I'm, I'm kind of like trying to think of all these things that everybody's going, what's he saying? Uh, his brother, Alex was also a musician. Unfortunately, his, his, his brother, Alex passed away in 1993. He recorded albums. His, uh, uh, Kate, his sister, Kate Taylor, uh, has recorded an album uh, and is known for her backup singing. She kind of left that for 50 years and came back to it just this last year or two. Uh, his, also, his other brother, Livingston Taylor, his younger brother, has been a recording artist uh, since the 70s. 
And his youngest sibling, brother Hugh. This sounds like a joke, but it's not. And then there's Hugh, who is a musician, but doesn't record. Uh, Hugh was in the music industry for a little bit, and now he isn't. Uh, decided to get away from it. So all the Taylor family is what I'm saying, uh, dabbled in. And, and it's amazing that they, like, all of them kind of got record contracts in a way. Because um, it's hard to get a record contract, even with no matter what your name is. So, uh, you know, not to get too involved into this, you can read you can read a biography if you want, because uh, we won't get too into this. But uh, bumming around in the, as a musician in the late '60s, and and then uh, he went to uh, school. He went to London, oh, England, oh, London, to uh, to audition for the Beatles for their new record company, Apple. And he did get a record contract with Apple. And he had Peter Asher, who was Paul McCartney's... Uh, Friend. Worked for the Beatles. Associate. Well, his girlfriend, Jane Asher, was Paul McCartney's girlfriend until they broke up in 1968. And he got Linda. So he was kind of like a brother-in-law to him. And he said, oh, I got this guy. And he's really good. And I'm going to manage him. And... So uh, they recorded an album at Apple with James Taylor, and uh, uh, he was heavily influenced at that time. It's a great album. Um, one of the few albums by James that I can call a great album. But it was a great album, uh, just called James Taylor, that was released on Apple in 1969. And I think, I did I say he was heavily into heroin at that time? Especially no. when he was in London. That's what I meant. He got heroin, I think, because he was in a, a place that had a lot of it, which was London. And so he was heavily into that. And he has been until he got clean in 1980-something. Uh, that's not part of what we're talking about. But that influenced a lot of his writing and thinking. And, and you know, he was in and out of mental sanitariums because of, of various mental conditions and uh, depression and stuff like that. And then he recorded an album. This is this is where I come in. <laughs> then he went back to America and he left Apple because, you know, Apple was kind of in disarray and it's like, no, I don't think we should stay here. So they left Apple and came back to America and, and uh, they got a, a record contract in America. And then he recorded the album that made him a superstar, uh, which was Sweet Baby, uh, James. Sweet Baby James. This is where... The topic of something I never do on this show, which is we did it again this, this episode. I told Rob that we were going to do this out without really thinking that this oh, was yeah, the yeah, album. Yeah, yeah, that's why I started for a day. And I right, this one for and one day. Uh, I'm glad I revisited I just kind of didn't think about it. And I said, let's do Sweet Baby James. And then I wrote him the next day and I said, no, let's, we're not doing that. We're going to do JT instead. And the reason is, and I have a very good reason. I have a good reason for albums I pick every week this one i kind of sloughed off for some reason i don't know why but i had that album it was one of the few albums we had in our household sweet baby james and i love that album uh it's again one of the few james taylor albums that i i really like i think it's it, it's a magnificent album it has a lot of variety it it shows the pain and angst of of a singer songwriter with with a, a heroin addiction addiction and and psychiatric problems and it also was very funny, and it's uh, it's got a lot of what JT actually I found out when listening to it this week had a lot of which was uh, variety to it. And anyways, I just think the album is a, a great 
excellent album. But I also didn't think from the stuff that I had heard from James Taylor that it was very representative of him. I thought it was one of those things where all the songs were really good, but that's not a good representation of his overall catalog. You thought it was an anomaly. Yes, I did. Mm. Thank you, Rob. I did. I, I really did. So I said, you know what? Let's pick, I'm going to pick this album because, and there was a reason I picked JT is because when I started seriously listening to music, this was in like, this album was released in June, and that was really the year that I started listening to the radio all the time. This was AM. When I came home, yes. Did you ever hear this played on FM? And one, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, see, it's not, he's not a big rock FM type of uh, no, person. No, he's I've not. never heard it on FM. No, I've never, I don't think I've heard very many songs, except Fired Rain, I think. Occasionally, uh, yeah. yeah occasionally. But uh, the song that I remember in my memory was Handyman as being the first song that when I really started to listen to the radio seriously in, in about June of 77, JT was a big album already, had been released, and Handyman was played all the time, and I really liked it. And uh, that's why I wanted to hear the album. I haven't heard the album before, so I picked that. I thought it would be a good representation. You don't want to pick a bad album by somebody that's right, that, that is thought of as bad by it. And you don't want to pick the Anomaly, which we had just mentioned with Sweet Baby James, because I thought that that was where all the stars aligned, but that wasn't. Yeah, that and was the neat thing is we both heard that album. This one I haven't heard. So. Right. And I intrigued, that intrigued me too. And uh, you can't, the problem is if I come here and say, you know what, this is a magnificent album, everybody's going to think that this is what I think of James Taylor. And that's not necessarily true. In fact, it's not true. <laughs> but that was a fantastic, that was and is still a classic album. So I picked this, and also the other song that got played all the time, and I just loved it, was Your Smiling Face. Those two songs on that album uh, were played on AM radio in 1977 and early 1978 all the time, and I always wanted to buy it, and I, I, I never did because I had so limited funds that, you know, if you can believe it, I was only like yeah, 11. I had my allowance <laughs> money, and that was one album a week. Right, I was only 11 too, you know, when I was listening to this stuff. And so uh, I could only buy very pittance of the stuff that I wanted. But uh, so we go back to that, and that's why I picked it. And um, he's part of the, uh, oh, and I, I want this little side up. Before we talk about the album, which we're going to talk about in just minutes, is uh, he was really great in one of my favorite movies of all time, Tulane Blacktop. Uh, with Warren Oates and... Uh, Warren Oates and Dennis Wilson. Dennis Wilson. All three of them are just really cool in that movie. And it's <laughs> such a fucking cool movie. It's one of my favorites. You see that on arts and entertainment and oh. not too many other places. Like, uh, no, back, you don't back see it. Back in the day. You don't see it. Now you don't see it anymore. Now you have to actually buy it. The Criterion has it for like 30 bucks. It's very expensive to buy on DVD. I recommend it. It's a lost classic. And I, I, Rob is yeah, right. Yeah, definitely sums up Rob is right. I think the first time I saw it was on one of the arts channels. And it was like, and you had to find it. And then I was going, that's James Taylor. And he doesn't play like the, the laid back singer songwriter type of guy. He's very edgy. More he's quiet. Tense, yeah. He's quiet like you think he would be. But he's very cool. Like I don't think James Taylor is cool. But his character is very cool. And Dennis Wilson is, is exceptional in the movie. And of course... The Great War Notes is great in everything, and it's um it is one of my favorite movies of all time. So, points for 
points for James Taylor on that one for being in that movie. Even though I heard again he was when he was doing it, he was heavily on uh, heroin, but that doesn't matter. I'm not. That's not. I'm not trying to say that he was great in the movie or not great in the movie because of what he, I'm just it was just hey, a side note the guy's addicted to heroin he's got to work go to work what are you going to do what are you going to do hey you know what what are you going to do you sit and have a talk with him yeah it's not going to do anything so this album it was his first album for Columbia Records he signed in 1977 and he recorded this album between March and April with his usual band of cohorts uh, uh, Russ Kunkel on drums those guys. Uh, Danny Korchmore, uh, uh, Korch on I, uh, guitar. Uh, let me get to that. So I, I recognized a few of the guest musicians, but uh, not the regulars. You know, you're not cool like me, but... I'm uh, not cool. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, of course, produced, of, as all his albums were in the 70s by Peter Asher. And let me just uh, let me just go down here. Uh, Leland Sklar, that's who I, the bass guitarist. Leland Sklar. If you ever, you'd know Leland Sklar if you saw him. If you ever see the old shows of James Taylor or whoever that they're backing, that's band that they're backing. Uh, he's a guy who has uh, <laughs> he plays bass and he has like a, he looks like an old man and he's like thirty Long years beard. old and he's got the beard that's down to like a, like a ZZ Top beard. Except he had it like before ZZ Top had it in like the mid sixties, mid seventies, and uh, you would know. And he looks like he shouldn't be a musician because he looks like he's a grumpy old man, even though he's like thirty two. I mean, he's now he's an old man playing bass guitar. Yeah, right? He always he always looked like he's like, oh, why have I got this bass? He looks more like a roadie who's supplying the drugs for everybody than the guy. <laughs> who's, um, but he is also one of the best best studio musicians ever. He had, nobody was complaining about the band he had. And of course, he had uh, Carly Simon and Linda Ronstadt on background vocals yeah, on Linda the song. Yeah, I recognized her and Carly Simon recognized her. Ooh, man, Carly Simon. We've got to do, we do a whole show on Carly Simon, if you know what I mean. Anyways. <laughs> Maybe a few shows. And some of, them, some of them will broadcast. And some of them will actually talk about her music. Anyways. Um, yeah, you know, I don't like James Taylor. <laughs> and, I need more details. Uh, <laughs> um, like I said, one of the first albums I ever heard was Sweet Baby James, and I really loved it. Uh, that steamroller blues and stuff like that. He seemed to be a very versatile artist, and then he got into this. I'm just doing mellow shit, and like I said, he he bores the fuck out of me. And the thing that I immediately thought when I was listening to this record was what I said on our last episode was how David Crosby writes the songs that I would write. And it's so funny because James Taylor is like the opposite. He <laughs> writes the songs that I would, would never write and would never want to write. And, uh, and that's personal. That's just personal. Like there are millions of people that love James Taylor. A lot of critics like me who don't. <laughs> um, but... I'm glad I picked this album because I like a lot on this record. I'm not saying it's a classic record. It's a very good record. And I like, I've always, you know, it's been called his most rockinest record. And that's really kind of funny when you got 12 songs and only three of them really yeah. rock. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I'll tell you the song, Just Smiling Face, which I have loved 
for almost 50 years now. I really have. The first I, I, few years. First few years I heard that song, I would only hear the first line and I would immediately get off the radio and turn it off. <laughs> it is. And you know what? When I was listening to it this week, not being an 11-year-old listening to it, uh-huh. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, that's terrible. And then I read, when, and this is how context comes into yeah. it. Then I read it was about his daughter. And then I said, now I get it. Yeah. Okay. Now it's okay. In After other words. hearing the whole song and listening to all the lyrics, that's where you realize, okay, this isn't just a sentimental AM schlock. Yes. This is a guy who's actually written some words which express how he's feeling, and they just happen to be feelings that I don't normally experience. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's very good. And I think I kind of thought that when I first heard it. Because obviously, as you know me, Rob... Even as an 11-year-old, these are not the kind of lyrics that are endearing to me. Yeah, this... <laughs> but this song, right right from the beginning of the... Uh, like, it's really happy and rocky. Yeah. And, and I, I, that attracted me. And I remember going back um, 40 years ago and listening to this and going like, Oh, I love this. And I kind of like his... You know what? I, I want to talk about the three rocking songs on it also. I just don't want to talk... Uh, the other songs are Honey Don't Leave L.A., written by Danny Korchmar. Korch. Uh, uh, he's the guitarist uh, on many L.A. sessions, but he was mainly a James Taylor's guitarist. And uh, I Was Only Telling a Lie uh, is the other... That was a dark... Well, not dark, dark, but song. it's a, oh, it, it is dark. It has a <laughs> it has a meanness. It's a sinister. It's it's not only sinister musically, but all, obviously in, in the lyric wise. And you know what? If he would have chose to have gone this pattern, more like this than the... I think he sings. Yeah, I think he sings really good as a rock singer. He actually does. I would never have believed it if you would brought told me that. You should listen to the album JT by James Taylor because he can really sing rock songs. And I'd say, Rob, you've been smoking some dubs, my friend. But he does. He, I've always thought that he sang Your Smiling Face really good. Um, but he really sings the shit out of Honey Don't Leave L.A., a very catchy and uh, amazing song. And he's really sinister as this uh, lying kind of truck. Driver. Truck driver who just who just lies to get women into the sack and then leaves in the middle of the night and then is proud of it. I was just lying. Don't make a big deal out of it. Yeah, I was only telling a lie. Fuck you. What is this? The end of the world? Uh, and he sings that really good. Uh, he inhabits the character and he sings it very sinister. He would have been a good rock singer. Like, I mean, a hard rock singer because these are pretty hard rock songs. You know, especially Honey Don't Leave L.A. and I was only telling a lie and and Your Smiling Face is a little bit more of a pop rock song, but it's still pretty rock. And he would have been a very good rock singer. Um, I just want to point that out because he doesn't do that often. And this is called his most rockinest album of his catalog. It's his best-selling album uh, since Mudslide Slim. No, it's his best-selling album since Sweet Baby James, to be honest with you. So that's how popular this this album was huge. I remember it. It was huge in '77, and uh, so uh, and when you had a huge album in a year back then, it was huge. <laughs> yeah, I, I was reading this one uh, was nominated for album of the year and lost out to Fleetwood Mac. Of course, <clears throat> you know as as everything did. Uh, 
because everybody it was, knows it was rumors. It was being rumors. being around that time and being really into the music by mid seventy seven. People who weren't around at that time do not know how big rumors was. It was like permeated everything, just like Saturday Night Fever did the the next year. And when was Bad and Frap then came comes alive did the year before and all that stuff. And Bad Out of Hell came out in late seventy seven, became popular in early nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, because that was an all summer. That was an all summer. That was another big hit, and that had like five singles on it or something. That was a huge album. Nothing like Saturday Night Fever. There's always one or two albums a year, and uh, kind of seventy seven. Uh, was the year 76 was the year of Frampton Comes Alive and Songs in the Key of Life 77 was definitely the year of Rumors and at the beginning of the year Hotel California and then there was the albums that were bubbling under that like JT and five or six albums but those were the two bigs and then 78 you had like A Bad Out of Hell and Saturday Night Fever and 78 was a big year for music anyways that's what you and that all's Guess gets into another topic, but I'll just say that Frampton Comes Alive pretty much started that. The first album that really did that was Tapestry, where it just, in 1972 with uh, Carole King, that the album became so huge it permeated everything in society. You couldn't smell the air without <laughs> smelling Carole King's Tapestry <laughs> album. Albums were like that. It's not like today. Albums like, there were three or four albums a year that everybody knew about. Even your parents knew about them, <laughs> you know. And uh, I don't know if JT was one of them, but it was a huge album. And uh, I like, I, I, I hate, one of the things I hate in uh, music is uh, the Fender Rhodes piano. I just hate the Fender Rhodes piano. I like I the hate Fender the Rhodes soothing, relaxing for the background music. music. From Dirty Harry. Uh, yeah, I do too. <laughs> and there are, some, uh, there are some songs or artists that know really how to use it, like Stevie Wonder, You Are the Sunshine of My Life. It's perfect for that type of song. Ray Charles when he, uh, on the Blues yes. Brothers when he plays the... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, what I say. There are exceptions, of course, to every rule, but most of the time, it just, it's every time piano. it's used, it's used by wimps who, who use it to be a calming effect on, on the music, and it just... It just reeks of wimpiness to me. It just it just does, and he uses it on every kind of slow song he does, and it's just not it's not my cup of tea. But there are some. When I got to the last listen to this album, I started to like almost everything that was written. Unfortunately, because and I, what I mean by unfortunately is that it's not my type of songwriting. But this album is is very friendly. And this album is not like one of his snoozer albums where they're all like ballads and kind of put you to sleep. This album is very much like Sweet Baby James in that it's very varied. It has a good sense of humor to it. It has some sinister rock on it that his other albums don't have. It's uh, it's kind of a reawakening. And I liked it. Um, I even started to like the songs that I didn't like in the first couple of listens. Also, I want to point out um, Bartender's Blues, which I love. Bart, not by James Taylor. I love. I like this version by James by James Taylor because he wrote the song. But a year later, um, the first time I heard the song was actually George Jones, and George Jones uh, just knocks this song out of the water. It's kind of a send up on this album by James Taylor because he kind of sings it with a little bit of a drawl, like a uh, country drawl. He does have that, and it works well with Linda Ronstadt singing the. Uh... 
She's not singing a backup. She's singing a the harmony, a har- dual voice. Yeah, there. very so, good too. Very good. I not quite a duet, but uh, but uh, close. But you can hear her, and Linda is always excellent in whatever she does, and it's a really good version. But the version that was released the following year, which is just heavenly by George Jones, is uh, a lot more serious, and it's a lot more hard. like like with George Jones, like holy smokes, that voice, and it just knocks. I have knocks me for a loop that version it reminds me how good a song that this is written wise like you can sometimes take it in a direction that may be not suited to it or else you can take it in like he makes it so sad George Jones and you kind of and James Taylor kind of has his tongue in his cheek when he's singing his version but George Jones is deadly serious and it's very sad it's extremely touching version anyways what I'm saying is a very nice written song James Taylor thought it was just a throwaway on this album it's not it's uh I think it's uh as a written song it's uh it's a standout on this album also want to point out in his favor his version of Handyman now if you've heard the Jimmy Jones version in the early 60s it's very upbeat and it kind of is a boastful song about I can be your handyman, which is a, a sexual innuendo song mm-hmm. about, you know, how I can be your handyman and make you forget about your man and shit like I'll that. I'll fix your broken heart, baby. Yeah. James Taylor, very smart, changes it, slows it down and makes it seem as if it's a song more about I can take care of you. I know what you need. I can heal your heart. I can heal your... Exactly. <laughs> I can heal your heart. I can make you whole again. Very touching. Slows the song down, like I said, and conveys a whole different side to the song. And I thought I, I thought it was great when I first heard of the 1977. I think it's even better now because I understand the implications and what he did with it, which is... Uh, it's not easy. And I love when an artist can reinterpret a song already done and give you a whole different feeling of what the song is about. Kind of like what George Jones did with Bartender's Blues. James Taylor did himself with uh, Jimmy Jones's uh, Handyman. And it's not easy to redo a song and to put a different stamp on it. Put a different spin on the uh, different meaning. Of the whole story. Yeah, you're right. A different meaning on it. Um, This is a very... This made me sound condescending. It's a very pleasant album. I, I'm not a James Taylor fan, but I, by the last listen of this album, I really got to like even the songs that I were kind of dismissive of at the very beginning. You know, when I hear James Taylor and his snooze fest songs, I kind of like go, oh, fuck. And that was kind of how I was at the first couple of listens. And then I was going, no, that's not too bad. There are a couple songs here that, you know, I would never write and I would never listen to but most of all you know i love the secret of life by taylor very and it's true the secret of life is just to live every moment as every moment to enjoy the process and it's so true and i'm not trying to be philosophical here but it's so true and even what we do when we used to record and stuff it was never getting the finished product i remember when we would get the cds and stuff like that it would almost be a come down because that wasn't what it was about. It was actually the process day by day of making a record. And it was the fun of being with everybody in the studio. And it was the day-to-day stuff that you do as a musician. It's not the payoff because there is no payoff, really. If you're successful, you get money. Who gives a shit, right? Or if you're not successful, you just got a bunch of CDs that are piling up. 
the payoff it's not even the fans saying I love your music the payoff is just actually creating yeah. it and seeing your songs come to life with your friends playing on it and the jokes that you have that's what this song is about and I, I identified it with it totally the secret of life is is a ride and it's a great roller coaster ride sometimes like any roller coaster ride you have your ups and downs but it's the process of what you do it's never the end product and not for me anyways never it's has the journey been. not the destination that's right it is it is and uh yeah and i i actually like also the uh little uh, i'm giving rob very little time on here unfortunately but traffic jam i thought was kind that of was very a really funny. good uh, i really like that yeah Works it's kind well. of a little uh it just pretty much drums i think when it comes into the chorus uh, they play like uh, something just on the first note of the but that might oh, just do be they? backup vocals might be backup vocals might be backup vocals and other than that I think a little percussion and that's it yeah it's definitely percussion it's just a ditty but it's it's a very attractive ditty and I, I find it very endearing in a person like James Taylor who's considered so serious to have to put something like that on there is a symbol of what this album about which is uh, uh, the variety Friday is the spice of life, as they say, and this is a very, this is a very enjoyable. I give it three and a half stars, and uh, you know, I might even, if I had another week with it, bump, <laughs> Go bump to it like up it a little more. bit, because I'm really surprised. Because with however much I dislike James Taylor, uh, this album defines, uh, or what's the word? I'm not defines, but it breaks the rules of what I think James Taylor was like, which is which ha which is what his albums were basically like after Sweet Baby James until this, and he was criticized for, was being very one note. And this album is not one note. This album is almost like a successor or a follow-up to Sweet Baby Sweet James. Sweet Baby James yeah. and all the stuff in between was just a, a dream. Yeah, a <laughs> dream, yeah. <laughs> ah, by golly, I did not... Uh, first two or three times uh, listening to this album, uh, there was nothing really pulling me in. Uh, when I got a hold of the lyrics and read it, then uh, then it changed, and I had something to, uh, to actually grasp onto. And uh, I really like the lyrics. I do like his songwriting, like uh, his choice of melodies and chords. The one thing I did, did that didn't have me enthralled, as much as uh, the playing was really good on the album, uh, the music, it, it could, I found it to be kind of slick. Oh, yeah. kind of very polished and very. Uh, you know, I don't like that, and that's yeah. one of the things I detest about James Taylor is the is the can't be any wrong notes and the slickness. I think the Fender Rhodes uh, is a good example of, of covering up so much by its its lushness and, and 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 slickness, and that's why I don't like it as an instrument. It just sounds like uh, what a producer would do for. A person like this in the late 70s uh the very minimum of it's good sounding i mean but it's not a sound i enjoy no i don't like the uh the music the sound of the music i agree with you i 100%. do like the songs i like the singing uh, but that was the one i want to point that out i hate i always hate to interrupt you i really do but just to, to add a little addendum i actually don't like his mellow singing i actually don't it actually snoozes me it actually it I actually is a very it's a very monotone and I'm not being I'm not yeah. being uh, sarcastic I actually mean that it, it's so soothing to me that it actually makes me drift away to you know and think about oh his, you know, yeah. his singing is not the kind of singing that requires uh, you actually getting the lyrics because uh, you can understand everything he's saying uh, he's got really good 
diction of words, but uh, those soft songs, yeah, it's you lose your your focus. You lose your. I could hear the words, but I wasn't compelled to listen to them. Exactly, <laughs> he was singing exactly. Them. Yeah, so you know yeah. that you know that it's good uh, singing and it's and it's in tune. <clears throat> But it kind of makes your mind drift, and you, the the and then you're wondering, oh, I got the drift of it because of what that the, the chorus there. Uh, yeah, I got the, the drift of it, the but I was missing things because he was. You know how somebody talks monotone to you and very relaxing, and it can make you drift into thinking about, oh, I got monkeys playing uh, basketball in my head, <laughs> <laughs> and then you get brought back occasionally back yeah, to reality. Yeah. <laughs> Most yeah. of the time, I can hear that one or two uh, lines or words at the end and come back in. Sometimes I can't. <laughs> sorry, sorry. what were you talking about? <laughs> it's an embarrassing thing to ask when you're right in front of the guy and you're his only audience. That is uh, such a good point, Rob, because that's what the worst of his music does for me. Is absolute, well, I think most of his music, because I'm not a fan, as you know, but other than this album and uh, Sweet Baby James... Where there is good songwriting, which which covers that up on this album, I think. But most of his stuff is just sleep-inducing. And it has to do with his voice with me and that slickness that you talked about. Yeah, he's got um, not quite nasally. It almost sounds like a nasal voice, but it's not. Was... Great person to hear if you're on a couch and you're with family. Uh, again, this sounds like a real shot, but it's not. Like, And then he brought out the guitar. And you'd go, oh, it's so nice to have James sing. Like, it's so nice. But then... If you hear him sing, like, and you paid like seven bucks for an album, it's kind of, you know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between hearing his voice in a, in a certain setting, but hearing it in a serious, critical thing or, or something like that. It just, personally for us, it just puts us into la la land. Yeah, after the lyrics, it was a bit easier to, because uh, I had some context with which to uh, attach to the songs. Because I wasn't getting too much meaning just trying to listen to the lyrics because I couldn't uh, couldn't hold my full attention to a bunch of them. I, I'm like, yeah, my mind kept wandering. But afterwards, uh, I rather enjoyed a bunch of the stuff on this album. Was there any standouts for you? Ah, uh, no. <laughs> really, really. <laughs> no, there's a few little parts uh, in Terra Nova there where uh, Carly comes in. I love that end part. Yeah, I do too. Uh, and I'm not uh, to be honest. Yeah, you know what? This, that was the song that I didn't like at the beginning oh a lot. And I actually felt that, uh, and I'm on my way. It kind of got to me by the like the last listen. Yeah. Uh, See, the first time I was listening to it, I thought that was two separate songs. Yeah. I thought, that, well, what's this? I'm on my way before Terra Nova, but after looking for Love on Broadway, I did. Yeah. Uh, is there an extra track? Do I have the right album? What's going on? The confusion, my God. <laughs> but then, yeah, it clearly said uh, that was part of the song. So. Yeah. And Traffic Jam was neat, uh, but a lot of them, no. <laughs> I got no standout songs here. <laughs> well, I'm actually surprised by that. Uh, but then again, you know, uh, he's not a real standout kind of guy. Like, um, even his songs that are big hits, I don't know. They kind of, they kind of like really good in the radio, and then you hear it, and then you kind of move on to the next thing. You know, at least for me, I know he has a huge following, and, and people love him. But I, I just, um, except for this album, which again, even though I kind of praised him a lot on this album, I still only gave it three and a half. <laughs> you know, which is a, which is three and a half, as we know, is very good. 
three and a half stands were very good. Three is good. So I actually think it's a very good album. But again, yeah. I think it's an anomaly for me. I think, because I have listened to his albums in between Sweet Baby James, and I would give Sweet Baby James like five out of five. I think it's a fantastic album. I think it's a classic album. And again, it's an anomaly. Just like I think this is an anomaly among his 22 or 23 albums. Um... Uh, I was lucky enough to hear the two best because <laughs> yeah. I've heard his stuff in the middle and I would give them like two stars at best because they just put me to sleep. <laughs> you know, you so it's like I was yourself. lucky enough to hear the good songs on those two albums that, you know, Sweet Baby James and this one or else, yeah, I, I would, I would agree with you. I just think the songs are better than I expected them to be. But God, I hate the slickness. You know how I hate slickness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I if he just had him and his uh, guitar or him and a piano, uh, but you know, some of the songs where it was just him and a piano, the piano was just playing boom, boom, boom that the uh, whole note or half note. There's nothing that jars you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, by golly, I liked his singing. I like his songwriting, uh, uh, but I didn't like the actual sound of the songs. I guess. I think that's the one thing that uh, it's not for me. It is a smooth and AM radio-ish. Very true. You would not have been buying this album in 1977. Let's say you were 22 years old in 1977. You would not be buying this album. No, we're not buying this album. I can appreciate some of the songs on it. I can appreciate a bunch of stuff on it, but uh, it's not for me. No, I don't think, except for Sweet Baby James... I would buy a James Taylor album, even this one, which I think is a very good album. Uh, he's just overall not my cup of tea. And I think overall, I'm glad I listened to it, but I probably won't listen to it again. It's just one of those guys that that just reeks of sleekness and mellowness and, and I'm just not that kind of guy. Although this is better than an average Oh, James Taylor album for me. For you, okay, yeah. These are the only two I've listened to. Is this one on Sweet Baby James? So, see, I had my uh, view of uh, James Taylor just from uh, that album. So I was uh, thinking this would be uh, kind of like more like that. But. Yeah, he had he came out as this, um, which if you didn't know, most people should know. He came out with his first two albums uh, as a very uh, confessional. I'm in a lot of pain. Uh, type of uh, songwriter uh, there was uh, a lot of rootsiness uh, not so much slickness involved and then after that Sweet Baby James uh, album was released uh, the slickness became more the priority than the earthiness and the uh, yeah uh, the real in touch with the music I mean it's a, it, it all fits together perfectly and it's done really well but it's so slick, it uh, so clean, so <laughs> that is that is the jarring. one thing I know. All of those words are the words I would use even before I listened to the like. This is the thing that I characterize James Taylor and why I don't listen to his music is slick and and sophisticated, and not and not jarring, and not not and so little energy and and the voice is 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 really nice but also very drowse inducing <laughs> yeah this is for people who want soft rock yes this that's you know what if he had to if he had to sum up this album in one sentence uh these this album is for a specific type of people 
and is for people who like soft rock. Yeah, I believe uh, the uh, what I was reading was called Adult Contemporary. <laughs> adult Contemporary music for adults. And of course, the best studio musicians you can find, as usual, that you get with when you got an adult contemporary uh, musician like this. And uh, it really kind of go against my grain. I think this has more to do with the rise of punk rock than maybe an equal standing as with progressive rock. Because if I, when I, if I heard this in 1975, 70, like a James Taylor, not specifically this album, but you know, his music, I'd go, man, we got to shake things up because things are so stale. We got James Taylor at the top of the charts, <laughs> just boring the shit out of people. Like we want some real rock and roll or real music. Like to me, that's one of the, also one of the first things that came to mind when I listened to this record was this is more uh, uh, music for the for the for the angst of the young people in 1976 and 77 to have a new type of music because music was starting to get really boring and he was at the top of that list, you know. He's the, yeah, the one guy uh, on the album uh, who was doing stuff that I, I, do, I do like his songwriting. I love his words. Uh, but uh, overall musically, this I think he was... sabotaged himself with the slickness and, and, and that's, like I said, my three favorite songs in this album are the ones that are rocking and where he actually ha uh, has a rock and roll voice and he's very good. He's very good at that. Um, and the other ones, the other ones are just kind of like, I don't know, I'm just kind of like they're for other people, not me and they're not for you. <laughs> no, I, I don't know what the, the rest of the world thinks. This album to me was about a three. It was a little better than neutral, but... Uh... It's got some good songs on it. So is it three and you're not going to give it three and a half because it's a little better than three type of thing? I'd like to, but, uh, you know, I knew your smiling face. I knew Handyman from before. Uh, it's between three and three and a half, but... Okay, so we're going, to give, we're going to give it three because if, it's, it's, if you don't get up to three and a half, then you don't get three and a half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's other songs or albums that, you know, I remember uh, I'd kind of get up in the day and, uh, okay, uh, I'm looking forward to hearing this even a bit. But this one I wasn't looking forward to hearing. I wasn't not looking forward to hearing it. Right. But I didn't feel a compulsion to, to want to, uh, to listen to it. Well, I felt a compulsion because we had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, that's true. Like, uh, it's not that I dislike the album because I gave it three and a half stars. I thought it was a very good album for James Taylor. I thought it was an exemplary album for him being that I've heard so much of his dross before in his albums. Uh, you were but expecting... Every, and I was expecting that, but maybe a little bit better because I had heard, though, like you said, those singles, and I like them. And I was thinking, well, this that they, those singles definitely have a lot more energy than the other stuff he had been releasing in the mid-70s. So that's one of the reasons I, I, I picked the album. And I was right, uh, thankfully, for our listening years, that it was better than his earlier five albums after Sweet Baby James. But um, I don't know. It's just not our, it's just not our cup of tea. But you, it's hard to review an album like this when you yes. don't like the artist. Because it is a good album. Yes. <laughs> well, I think we had, we've had problems like this before. Um, 
And I think our reviews show it. I think three and three and a half is good. It's, it's, this where, is for it's where it's at for me. Yeah, I don't. I think we keep on talking about it. we'll just be saying the same <laughs> things over and over again. But uh, I think I can keep listening to it, and it will be pretty much the same for me. I've, I've experienced all I can experience here. Yeah. Oh, what I was saying, what I was stumbling at, is that what you were talking about was no. I didn't feel compelled to be excited to play it again. I knew it was my job and I had to play it again. And I wasn't not looking forward to it, but I was also not going, oh, I get to hear JT again today. Oh my God, I'm so excited. <laughs> it was like, no, that's my job and it's okay. You know, this, 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 this is a finely crafted album. You can't dismiss that. But no, you're right. I was not jumping up and down. There are some albums that, man, I can't get enough of that we review. There are some albums that even I was curious about, uh, maybe I didn't develop a like yet, but mm -hmm. I, uh, God, there's something there that I, I, I need to hear again. Uh, exactly. But... So we said about all, I think we probably said too much about this album. The only, uh, the only, I did have one side note yep. I want to ask you a question. Can you think of any uh, singer, uh, male singer, who, uh, who sounds like James Taylor? No. I can't either. I can't. I really can't. He has his own distinctive voice. The only, the only person I can think of that sounds, that has that, and I know maybe it sounds like I'm making a joke with the SCTV thing, but the only person that sounds like he could really make you snooze off is Perry Como. You know <laughs> what I mean? He has that great voice, but it's so smooth that it's like, you know, and you kind of you kind of don't care about it's the lyrics. It's so smooth; it can uh, uh, you can lose your attention. Uh, I know it goes to that Mr. Relaxation thing and, <laughs> and SCTV. But seriously, when you listen to Perry Como, he's He's so smooth like James Taylor and monotonous of the mono type of voice that you kind of even forget what he's saying about. Yeah. Like, and, it, and you start to think of other things. And I don't, for some people, that's great. For me, it's like, that's not the purpose of my, why I listen to music. I'm supposed to be moved by it. I don't just have it on. This, this yeah. soothes. I don't want to be soothed. That's what this does. I it don't want to be soothed. I don't. I want <laughs> no. to be moved. I want, I want my, I want, with every new album I listen to, I would hope that it changes my perspective on music, on the world, on on everything. That's what I expect. That's not. That's what I. I don't expect. I don't go and listen to an album and say, "I hope this sues me." <laughs> <laughs> I'm feeling really on edge. You know, I'm crazy. I don't know what I could do next. Oh, I hope this calms me down. <laughs> That's <laughs> such a bad thing. And there are people that do listen to James Taylor a lot just for that purpose. I've yeah. had a bad day and I need to have this album on. And that's great. That's yeah. just not our cup of tea. If you have had a bad day and you put on James Taylor, he's not going to piss you off. <laughs> no, it's not. No. Unless, unless maybe you're a punk rocker. And maybe next week on our show, Bread. So no, <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, we will have Bread on our show, but I think next week. So, I've done all I have to say. I have done the this. Well, we're done. We, we, That's it. Good. We, I, we seriously gave this much more time than we should have because we kept reiterating our points over and over again. But we wanted to... It's really hard to talk about an album from an artist you don't like even though it's a good album See, I, I and try like and James express Taylor, that to because people. Because I only had um, uh, the one mm -hmm. album to go on before. Yeah. So I haven't heard any of his other albums. So I was expecting uh, Too better. Slick. Too slick. You were expecting worse. I was expecting worse, and I, I that maybe that's why I liked it. Well, yeah. I think it surprised you. So that's our show for this week. We're done. Another long one, and we didn't even have the segment. 
<laughs> oh man, see, it would have been a three-hour show. So uh, next week we will have another album by an American commercial folk singer-songwriter in the male category. Okay. All of that has to be said. <laughs> but until then, we've run long again. Even though it looked like we were going to be like at fifty minutes. Oh yeah. We we're we're. Rob says we're always at that minute, uh, one hour and twenty minute mark. Yep. Every show it just <laughs> seems to. We never plan it, but it just seems to always end up that way. So until next week, uh, take care and stay safe. I just write her off. <laughs> I want my to be real.